0: Welcome to 15 Minutes on the Way, Season 7, The Prophets, the P-H, Prophets. If you're a first-time listener, you really owe it to yourself to start at the beginning. You can easily find Episode 1 of Season 1 at 15minutesontheway.com. Don't spell out the number. Otherwise, brace yourself for a conversation with God's voice telling His side of your story. Hezekiah knows things are in an awful state, not because of poor politics, but because I am no longer honored by my people. So decayed has Judah's worship of me become, that the process of cleansing the temple and restoring proper worship to me is a long one. The priests and Levites have to be cleansed themselves in order to be able to enter the temple area. Then the amassed filth has to be taken out, and the temple items that had been turned to corrupt use have to be made pure for their intended purposes again. Once every one and every thing that is to be a part of worship within the temple has been cleansed and sanctified again, then actual worship directed at me can finally resume. Second Chronicles twenty nine provides the play by play of the temple's cleansing and the restoration of worship there. Then imagine all the smells of a town wide barbecue as the sweet smell of burnt offerings drifts heavenward. And the songs of Levites are heard within my house once more with their cymbals, harps, lyres, trumpets, and voices. The king brings sin offerings for the kingdom, for the sanctuary, and for Judah. The people bring sacrifices of consecration and thanksgiving, all pledging themselves to me again, thanking me for taking them back as my people. It all happens so quickly, and so many sacrifices are brought that the Levites have to help the priests with work that would normally be off limits. You see, major change can happen quickly. Sure, Judah's going to be working through some consequences for a while to come, but Hezekiah turns his heart and nation back to me in a matter of days. You may all this time have been holding yourself back from turning to me, thinking even that by working through our story with humanity that you might gain some kind of momentum to work up the gumption to trust in me, like some of the people in these stories have done, Hezekiah, at the moment. Well then, let Hezekiah show you the way and get moving already. He knows what he needs to do, and at his first chance he does the right thing that whole out with the bad, in with Yahweh cycle that he initiates for himself and then for his people. And he doesn't stop there. He sends word up into the conquered lands of the northern kingdom to Ephraim and Manasseh clear up to Zebulun, inviting anyone with memory of me to come down to Jerusalem to celebrate the first Passover to be held in years. Second Chronicles 30 describes that joyous Passover and the preparations made for it. 30 verse 13 casually places the feast in the second month of their calendar, the only fly in the ointment in terms of Exodus 12's Passover directions. Though only a handful come, it's not from lack of earnest invitation or joyful welcome on Hezekiah's part as his elation at reuniting with me moves him to want the same for everyone else. Coming back to me after a long absence has that effect on people, whether they're in Hezekiah's habitat or yours. If you're finally feeling and obeying my nudge to cast your lot and life with me in a moment of insightful renewal, rejoice then at Hezekiah's level and invite others into your story as he does. Of course, Hezekiah is in a position in which his outlook needn't simply be infectious for everyone else to catch on. As king, he can just make everybody turn back to me. However, the people's hearts are sincere too as Hezekiah systematically restores to Judah faith and its function across the land that remains. And, as Chronicles observes, everything he does is good and right and faithful before me. In everything that he undertook in the service of my temple, and in obedience to the law and the commands, he sought me and worked wholeheartedly, and so he prospered. 2 Chronicles thirty one twenty, with alterations in my voice. And so it is with this renewed faith, trust, and walk with me that Hezekiah faces the coming invasion by Sennacherib of Assyria, who is overstepping far past his appointed bounds at the edge of the former northern kingdom. Hezekiah places his trust in me while at the same time taking shrewd action, a good recipe any time, in anticipation of Assyria's arrival. Hezekiah hides Jerusalem's water source, the Gihon Spring, denying his enemies a handy water supply while ensuring the city's survival. He does this by digging a tunnel to channel the spring for access from within Jerusalem. More important than you can imagine in your running water habitat. That story is described in 2 Chronicles 32, 3-4 and 30 his tunnel is still there to this very day, and might I suggest it as an impressive item to add to your bucket list. Hezekiah also launches several determined construction projects in Jerusalem designed to augment its defensibility, strengthening the city's existing walls, adding another broad outer perimeter wall to them, as well as raising new towers at critical locations. While taking these strategic measures, though, the king tells his commanders the true source of hope and the reason not to fear Sennacherib. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him, for there is a greater power with us than with him. With him is only the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles." In a perfect nutshell, this sentiment is our goal for everyone on the way, including you. With him is only the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. That's in 2 Chronicles 32, 7 and 8. The king of Assyria has known no battle in which any god has played a part with one exception, and that from a sideways influence. Our hand of protection had been removed from the northern kingdom, and so Assyria succeeded in its conquest of that area, acting even as our allowed vehicle of covenantal consequence upon those ten tribes. Our role there, however, is felt by our absence rather than by any exertion in sponsorship of the aggressors. We were a factor in the battle because we did not show up to it. After it's allowed to plow through the northern kingdom, Assyria continued in its southwesterly conquest direction and washed across Philistia to the shores of the Mediterranean, even reaching down along the coast to Egypt. Isaiah twenty-one through 6 features our colorful parable of Isaiah strolling barefoot and naked through the town to illustrate Egypt's total capitulation to Assyria. And so, when Sennacherib turns to invade Judah and attack its fortified cities, thinking to conquer them for himself, he comes upon the city of Lachish in the western foothills of Judah. While Lachish hasn't received the same full sprucing-up attention as Jerusalem by Hezekiah, it still has a formidable wall and gate system. Suffice it to say that the gates of L'Chish are well enough constructed, as in most fortified cities of the time, that it makes more sense for attackers to essentially ignore them until they can open them from the inside. Despite what you may have seen in movies, the tossing up of several ladders simultaneously along a wall is not a good tactic resulting in the same casualties inflicted from above as in an assault on the city's gates. Instead, a much slower process is called for, unless you're okay with losing half your army, a process that does not make for a very exciting sequence in films. The attackers lay siege to the city, allowing no one out or in. There is no escape, and there are no fresh supplies. Given enough time, years sometimes, in fact, as we mentioned in the siege and downfall of Samaria, the besieged city will simply run out of food and either surrender or die of starvation, or thirst before that if there's no water source within, hence Hezekiah's wildly water strategy in Jerusalem. To hasten the siege's end game, assuming Assyria is not keen on waiting that long and having to supply its own army with sustenance in the meantime, a way to attack is made. At a suitable place approaching the outside of the wall, Sennacherib builds what amounts to a road up to the top edge of the wall. Since this road has to ascend from ground level to the top of the wall, It takes the form of a ramp. Sennacherib is so proud of the siege ramp he builds at Lachish that he has a picture made of it for his palace back in Nineveh. The picture is chiseled into stone as a relief. A relief does with stone what a painting does with paint. It depicts a scene on a flat surface, but since it's stone, the images are three-dimensional. They're not quite like a freestanding statue more like a raised carving, so that the images of the cavalry, soldiers, spears, siege ramp, arrows, and so on are attached to and literally come up out of the scene. See it for yourself when you're checking out Shalmaneser III's Black Obelisk in London at the British Museum. Sennacherib's relief is part of the arrogant king's catalogue of conquest. The picture shows that the siege ramp does its job. Though the valiant soldiers of Judah pick off a doubtless good number of Assyrian engineers while they build their road, the Assyrians eventually swarm up their ramp and over the wall. Sennacherib's ruthless reliefs portray several scenes of destruction and defeat. The deaths of Lachish's defenders, the carting off of women, children, and spoils by the Assyrians, and an image of Sennacherib himself sitting before the now open city gate giving his permission for the slaughter of Lachish. The interior walls of Lachish are still stained with the Judean's blood spilled by Assyria that day. It is at this moment that Isaiah, or at least his book, also begins to cover these goings-on, joining kings and chronicles and providing a third voice of coverage. Isaiah 36.1 begins his parallel account. Isaiah tracks largely with kings. Notably, whereas kings at this point has Hezekiah sending a great deal of gold and silver to Sennacherib at Lachish in the hope of essentially purchasing the end of Assyria's conquest of Judah with the taking of that city, neither Isaiah nor Chronicles mention this. What all three sources agree on, however, is that Sennacherib sets his sights on Jerusalem at this point, and sends his official spokesman to Hezekiah to demand his surrender, and in that process to talk a lot of trash in the people's hearing. It's an interesting and nearly fun exchange, and since we want to give it a full hearing, we'll save that for next time. In the meantime, remember, that the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Rebecca and Esther and Ruth, the one who made the stars, is walking with you every day on the way. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to support what we do, give us a review on iTunes or Facebook. Then share this podcast with your friends. There's a link to the very first episode right under today's podcast on our website, 15minutesontheway.com. We hope today's podcast has reminded you that you, friend, are part of an epic story that is still unfolding today. So keep walking on the way. And until next time, be good to yourself.